Hello, I'm Derek. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And I want to share with you today an interesting uh, paradox or dilemma that uh, is often brought up concerning the timing of Christ's death and resurrection. The scriptures are clear that Jesus was raised on the third day. But also, Jesus himself talked about being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. How can we reconcile these two? And uh, there are interesting challenges that that presents to us. Um, on the one hand, the weight of the evidence by uh, reading the Gospels literally uh, supports the fact that Jesus was crucified on the Friday afternoon, the day before the Sabbath, and he rose again on the Sunday morning. But how is that three days and three nights? And so some have come up with alternative theories. I've looked into them of maybe he was crucified on the Thursday or, or on the Wednesday. But that uh, actually leads to other problems. Um, that it would mean that he was raised on the fourth day, for instance. And so there seems to be a genuine paradox here. And uh, even enemies of Christianity will try and take advantage of that to point that out. And so I'm going to show how all the scriptures actually agree. I'm going to show and support what has always been the view of the church, that Jesus was crucified on the Friday, on the day before the Sabbath, as the, as the Gospels say clearly. Um, this isn't just something that Constantine made up, as some might say. This has always been the belief of the church from the very beginning, because that is, in fact, the natural reading of the Gospels. But also, I want to point to the astronomical proof of this, because astronomy confirms that Jesus died in AD 33. And I want to show you that first of all. And uh, we even know the date, because that's April the 1st on our calendar, AD 33. That was Passover. And Passover on AD 33, we know from the moon, uh, we know that was on a Friday. April the 1st was a Friday. And how do we know that from astronomy? Because there were two signs that were predicted in Joel. It says, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And uh, this was a prophecy that has a twofold fulfillment. First, in the first coming of the Messiah, and then in the second coming of the Messiah. But uh, that will f there will be a future fulfillment, but, and the book of Revelation confirms that in Revelation 6 and in Matthew 24, but it was also fulfilled at the time of the cross, as Peter, the Apostle Peter, points out in uh, Acts chapter 2. And in this case, the great and awesome day of the Lord, that literally means the great day of the Lord's manifestation is the day of his resurrection. And so on the day of Pentecost, a few weeks later, Peter stands up and he says in Acts 2.16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he's talking about the recent events leading up to the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh on the day of Pentecost. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he gives a whole long prophecy of Joel. Now, had Peter just been saying it's just the outpouring of the Spirit that's fulfilled, he would have just quoted that part of the prophecy. But he quotes a more extended part of the prophecy. And he does that because the whole prophecy was fulfilled. Uh, if 
a lot of it wasn't, he would have been just opening himself up to a counterattack, but it wasn't fulfilled. But this is what he claims has been fulfilled in his time. And it says, and it will come to pass in the last days, and Joel actually says afterward, and the two statements are equivalent, we'll see what it was after, it will come to pass afterward, uh, it's actually after the signs that are going to be explained later in the prophecy. Um, Peter interprets it as after Christ's death and the resurrection, we are now in the last days. So after the work of the Messiah, we are in the last days. So Peter says, it will come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maidservants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter is quoting that whole prophecy and saying, that's been fulfilled. And nobody objects to that. And what he's saying is there'll be a sequence of events connected with the Messiah. First of all, there will be signs on the earth. And he describes the the vapors of smoke, and that was the earthquake on the day of the crucifixion, the fires, uh, because of the supernatural darkness, it says that the sun will be turned into darkness. This was a supernatural sign that took place on the day of the crucifixion, as, as we're going to see. And this is one sign in the heaven. And from the Roman records, we know that this took place in AD 33. We'll see that in a minute. In fact, it's Phlegon uh, who tells us this, that this took place in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad. Uh, he says that the greatest eclipse of the sun which was ever known to have happened then, for the day was so turned into night that the stars in the heavens were seen. And he adds that this is shown by the historical account itself of Tiberius Caesar. So this account was in the Roman records, that the day was turned into night and the stars were seen. And this is, of course, his, his record of the fact. And this year that he points out is AD 33. And so the supernatural darkness happens. It was in the Roman records. It was on AD 33. And so Peter, when he said this sign will happen before the great and awesome day of the Lord, that was fulfilled. We know that. The sun was turned into darkness before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And then the second sign is the moon turning into blood, and that's the name for a lunar eclipse. And that indeed happened. We know that on a Friday, April the 1st, AD 33. You can check it on any astronomy program that shortly after, as the moon rose above the horizon, it was a lunar eclipse. And with the earthquake dust in the air, it would have been a blood-red moon that would have appeared as it rose above the horizon. And so the moon turned to blood. And so straight after the supernatural darkness was the sign of the moon turning to blood. And all of that happened before the great and awesome day of the Lord's resurrection, which was the main theme of Peter's preaching. And then the prophecy also says it will come to pass afterward. After that, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. 
And so Joel's prophecy predicts the Messiah would come, he would die, there would be great earthquake activity, blood, fire, vapors of smoke, and uh, the blood, of course, being the blood of Jesus being shed, the blood of the Messiah, making, it, making that covenant, the, fire, the vapors of smoke of the earthquake at his death, and then the signs in the heaven, the sun turning to darkness, the moon to blood, the people that heard Peter preaching, they knew all that happened. And then it says, after that will be the great and awesome day of the Lord, followed by the outpouring of the Spirit. So Peter could say this was all fulfilled. And so this is a confirmation, both the moon turning to blood, the only year in the time there of Jesus where there was a lunar eclipse, the moon turning to blood, uh, was on, on AD 33 with a Friday Passover. And the sun turning to darkness was again, according to the Roman records, in AD 33. So this confirms that if we needed confirmation that Jesus did die on a Friday. And this is the natural reading of the Gospels. In, for instance, in John 19.31, it says, Therefore, because it was the preparation day, um, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. What that means is that it was a Sabbath day. The Saturday was the next day. And the, the preparation day is the pro-sabbaton. That's the technical term for Friday, the day before the Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath was a high day. That means it was also a feast day on that occasion because it was the first day of unleavened bread. And so the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken of the crucified people, that they might be taken away. Verse 42, for they laid, so there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. And I said it, that it says that Jesus was crucified on the pro-sabbaton, on the Friday. Uh, it's even clearer. In Luke 23, 54, it says, that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. So again, it was a Friday. And then it says that he was crucified. Then they, the women who had came to him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And so the, this sa Sabbath was a Saturday Sabbath. It was the fourth commandment that ordained that they should rest and so they had to wait till the Sabbath was over. They had to wait for the Sunday before they returned to the tomb. And so this, now there's a modern theory that says well that it wasn't a weekly Sabbath, it was the Sabbath because the first day of unleavened bread was called a Sabbath. Now that is just a modern terminology. In the Bible times the first day of unleavened bread was not called the Sabbath. There's no evidence for that at all. That has become a modern uh, terminology. In the days of Christ, pro-sabbaton always meant the Friday, the day before the Sabbath. And so we, we have clear evidence for the crucifixion on a Friday. And the evidence is also strong for a Sunday morning resurrection, the first day of the week, which was also the first the day of first fruits, because Jesus died as the Passover lamb, he was buried, and then he rose to fulfill the feast of first fruits when the first fruits of the harvest were offered up to God on the, 
uh, and that released God's blessing for the full harvest that would take place over the next seven weeks. And so when Jesus rose, it was on that Sunday morning. We read that in Mark 16. It says, now when Sabbath was passed, Mary Madeline, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him very early in the morning on the first day of the week. That's the Sunday. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he arose early, in the morning, that is, on the first day of the week, that's the Sunday, he appeared first to Mary Madeline. And here it says very clearly that Jesus rose early, just literally soon after dawn on the first day of the week. So he didn't rise on Saturday afternoon or midnight Saturday. He rose soon after dawn on the Sunday morning, according to Mark 16:9. And so that agrees, of course, that the resurrection was on the third day. That's the main description of the resurrection, that Jesus would die, be buried, and, be, and rise on the third day. That's the primary thing. And so other theories that put it back to Wednesday or even Thursday, that would actually be the fourth day as the Jews counted time. You see, the Jews counted time inclusively. Any part of a day would count as, as a full day. And so that's the natural reading of the Gospels. You get the clear impression he rose on the day, on the third day. He was crucified on the Friday. He was then buried. And then the Sabbath day went through its time. And then on the Sunday morning, on the third day, they went and found that the tomb was, was empty. Praise God. And it's interesting that even on the Sunday afternoon, when Jesus walked with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, that they told Jesus in Luke 24 that their Lord was crucified, and now it's the third day since it occurred. So even Sunday afternoon is the third day, not the fourth day. So all the evidence points to a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection. And um, the, this way of calling the third day is confirmed when Jesus talked about Herod, he said, go tell Herod in Luke 13. He said, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I'll be perfected. So you see, today, tomorrow, the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But of course, there is this one prophecy that stands to some feel, it contradicts this. In Matthew 12, it says, Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So how could Friday afternoon to Sunday morning be three days and three nights? And, and this is where people struggle with this. And 
a lot of people will hold on to that phrase and then ignore all the other evidence in the Bible and come up with a Thursday or, or Wednesday. The general evidence, and if it wasn't for this one prophecy about three days and three nights, nobody would ever question the fact that Jesus was crucified on a Friday. But because of these three days, three nights, people try and come up with different uh, explanations. How do we understand this? We, there's three things we need to understand. First, the Jewish reckoning of time was inclusive. So part of a day counts as a whole day. This is well established. And one, uh, for instance, a rabbinical saying in, in their Talmud says that a day and a night are an owner or a portion of time, and a portion of an owner is as the whole of it. So that's Jewish thinking. We've, if we're going to interpret a Jewish saying, we must do it according to Jewish thinking, not Gentile thinking. A classic example of this is in the book of Esther, where you know that Esther was told that she had to intercede, and this would, she would risk her life. And when Mordecai told her she had to go in before the king, the law was, if you go in before the king uninvited, you're as good as dead, unless he extended his mercy. And Esther decided to do it. In, other, in a sense, she died at that point. She was ready to die. And she said to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. Very similar, three days, night or day. And my maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go into the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did all that Esther commanded him. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter in his hand, and she went near and touched the top of his scepter. And I want you to notice that, as it were, she received a she was dead for three days and three nights, and she received a resurrection. On, uh, and it says, when, when the king gave her mercy. But notice, she fasted three days and nights, and then it says that she went into the king on the third day. So in the Jewish thinking, on the third day is the same as three days, night and day. How can that be? Well, that's only possible because of inclusive reckoning. If they were counting full three days and three nights, that's clearly not the third day, it's the fourth day. So any part of a day counts as a full day. Any part of a night counts as a full night. The other thing to understand is that the Jewish day doesn't start at midnight like ours, but it starts at sun, sunset, six o'clock in the evening roughly. That's the start of, an, of a day. All right. But still we have a bit of a problem, if you're a literalist like me, it's still three, it says th not three days and nights, but three days and three nights. And if you do a count, even inclusively, you get three days and two nights, because if Jesus died on the Friday afternoon, there's three hours there, that's a day. And then you have the next night till Saturday morning, and then the Saturday day, that's the second day, and then the Saturday night, and then you've got a short time, let's say 20 minutes or whatever, on the Sunday morning, that counts as a day. But even then you've got two days and, sorry, three days and two nights. So we seem to be 
a night short. And this is called a prophetic paradox, because you cannot have on the third day and three days and three nights. It seems to be an impossible, you can't have them both literally fulfilled. So how are we going to do it? And this is an example of a number of paradoxes in the Bible, prophetic paradoxes, that seem to, two things that are shown together, and somehow they've got to be fulfilled together, but they seem to contradict each other. And one of my favorites is Isaiah 53, 9, which says that they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. And this is prophesying the Messiah's death, that he will be given a grave with the wicked, but uh, then it says he'll be buried with the rich. How can that be? And we know the solution from the Gospels is that Jesus was actually uh, crucified and he was assigned a criminal's grave. They would have just thrown all the crucified people into a pit. They didn't deserve a proper burial and, and that was the plan. But we know that Joseph and uh, Nicodemus interceded and they actually gave him a, a proper burial in a rich man's tomb. And so that paradox was, was fulfilled because of the special circumstances connected with the Messiah's death. And there are other paradoxes like that, which when it's fulfilled, it's a sign of a divine intervention, so that this paradox was fulfilled in a way that couldn't be done any other way. And so we have to ask the question, are there special circumstances around Messiah's death that make this impossible thing possible? Can somehow the three days and three nights be equivalent to being on the, two th on the third day? And the question is, is there an extra night that we haven't taken account of? And yes, there is. Because the, the three hours of supernatural darkness when Jesus died on the cross is that third night. For the first three hours, Jesus was our burnt offering. He offered up his righteousness that we might be made the righteousness of God. But then on the second three hours, the sun was turned to darkness. This was showing Jesus as the sin offering. He was being made black with our sin. And at the same time, God signified that by a sign in the heavens. Amos had predicted even that the sun will go down at noon. It will be blackened at noon. And that's exactly what happened as Jesus became our sin offering. God showed it in the stars by turning the sun to darkness. The sun that represented the, the glorious son of God. And this was actually night time. And because of that, Jesus died in that darkness. And soon after Jesus died, there was a great earthquake. The veil was split in two, and then the darkness lifted. And so Jesus died in the darks. And so that is where we get the extra night. We, there was literally three days and three nights. Isn't that amazing? And the proof of that is, how do we know that it's called, called night? in God's reckoning. Well, we know, first of all, that it was night because the stars came out. You know, we even know that not only from apocryphal accounts, but we know that from the Roman records that there was an earthquake at this same time as the supernatural darkness. There was an earthquake around the whole region and also the stars came out. And so it was night. But the strongest reason is from the Psalms. Psalm 22 is Jesus' prayer from the cross. And he says, and this is what he cried out when the darkness fell. 
It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Literally, that's the words of my roaring. Jesus roared with agony when your sin, my sin, was put on him as the darkness fell. And then he says, oh, my God, I cry in the day. That's the first three hours, but you did not hear. And in the night, and I'm not silent. That's the second three hours. Jesus himself called it a night. And he cried out. And he says, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other words, the reason that I feel forsaken of you is because I've, the sin of the world is on me and you are holy. And so... Psalm 22, if you read it, the whole thing is Jesus' prayer from the cross. And it even finishes with Jesus' last words when he cried out, it is finished. And Psalm 22 finished, finishes with the, with the phrase that says that um, it will re be recounted, a seed will serve him, it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done it. He's paid the price in full. He's paid for our righteousness and eternal life. And he's paid the price of our sin. That's what he did on the, on the cross. Praise God. And that is his prayer from the cross. And Jesus himself said that his time on the cross included a daytime and a nighttime. And so Jesus himself says that that supernatural darkness was a night. And so if we go back... We, he died in the night. That's the first night. Then there was a two, two and a half hours, whatever, left of light time. That was the first day. And then the night, and then the day, and then the night, and then the day of the morning of the resurrection. And so Jesus literally fulfilled that prophecy. Three days and three nights he was in the heart of the earth. According to Jewish rec reckoning, not Gentile reckoning, that it's 72 hours. You've got to use the Jewish way of counting time. This is the solution to this very famous paradox. All prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And our vision is to spread the in-depth teaching of the word of God to the ends of the earth, but we need your help. If you can partner with us or or pray for us and contribute to us, it will make all the difference to make this possible. And on our website, oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk, you, you can find the, a way you can help us financially, and we would be so grateful. If you're interested to know more about what I've shared in the program today, I have two books that really will introduce a lot of more information for you. One is Signs in the Heavens, where I look at all the signs in the heavens in the Bible, including the sun turning to darkness and the moon to blood. And the other one that will tell you more about the three days and three nights and how it fits with Daniel's 70 weeks is my special book on Daniel's 70 weeks, which really shows you the, almost the most wonderful messianic prophecy of how Jesus came at exactly the right time and died and rose again. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services, which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford. OX3 7QH 
You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.